This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Have you ever stopped to wonder what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power, all of the above or none at all? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. Joining me on the show today is Gajen Nat. He's a stand-up comedian. He's also an MC, a content creator. Welcome to the show, Gajen. How are you doing? Hey, Dashran. I'm good, man. Uh, very excited to be here. Let's start with the big picture question first. How do sure. you define success? To me, I think it's a very simple thing is uh, you got to be happy with what you do. Mm. Uh, and I know it sounds cliche, but the truth be told is a lot of people, they they just want to get their day done. And to me, it, it doesn't it doesn't look like success. So you got to enjoy what you do. Uh, and also a lot of people feel that work and passion are, you know, exclusive. You know, they are both not related. Uh, they actually can be the same thing. So uh, to me, you got to enjoy what you do. Uh, at the same time, you got to add value to society. That's in my uh, that's right. in my books. So I enjoy what I do and my value to society is to uh, create happiness. That's as simple as that. My definition of success, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk about, you know, this thing that makes you happy, which is um, stand-up yeah. comedy. Um, you also do emceeing and all of that, right? So talk to me about yeah. two points in your life. The point where you fell in love with the craft of stand-up comedy and the point yeah. where you realized you can make this a career. I like the way you split it. Some people, they just ask, they just state one, but it's actually two different points, right? right. Uh, yeah, so the first time I fell in love was basically, well, basically, I have always liked jokes. Okay. So I've always like, uh, even family gathering, you know, Indian family gathering, typical, <laughs> they ask you to sing song, you know, ah, uh, oh, you know, Sangeetam, La Tevarum, yeah. you can sing, you can dance about the Natya. Uh, you tell some jokes, la. so I was a joke segment. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because I, I, all my relatives all know Bharatanatya, I don't know anything, right? Yeah, so I told some jokes, uh, no one laughed and all that. Uh, but then I went up, uh, I did for my uni, uh, Monash Talent uh, Night uh, in, in Sunway, uh, Monash uh, University. Uh, I told some jokes, apparently they liked it. Uh, they gave me second place. Then after they came inviting me. And then my first official show was at Publica, uh, The B. I uh, did a show there. Uh, I think, yeah, a few uh, radio DJs were there as well. I remember uh, February 2012. Uh, I Yeah, I just did my set. At that time, I was just doing funny stories. You know, I didn't know what stand-up is. Right. Just tell some funny stories. They were all laughing. And to be on stage uh, and to just see, you know, uh, people of various backgrounds, uh, you know, uh, gender, occupation, ethnicity, religion, or nationality, just laugh together is just uh, insane. So that's when I really loved it. Because uh, laughing is great, but making other people laugh is even uh, better. Yeah. So that's the what, first one. Describe that feeling to me. You you went on stage, you were at you know, university at that time. You made a joke. So many people laughed or your entire set, maybe people laughed and you got second place. What was that feeling when people laughed at your joke? I guess, uh, number one, it felt powerful. Mm. You know, because like, uh, I'm not the one laughing, the other one's laughing. And uh, I've never seen this. Uh, I've never experienced it before. That's one. Number two is, sometimes like the, the laughter is so long, uh, 
because you know when you're first time uh, doesn't even doesn't even matter if it's stand up or not right. when you're first time presenting you have like a certain amount of seconds before you move on to the next segment yep. so in stand up you can't do that you really got to uh, improvise you know sometimes the laughter is so long where you just have to wait until it tones down <laughs> then you move on and that the first time i felt that where i couldn't move on to the next joke just to to wait for the laughter to go down was just amazing uh, it it really feels that you're like yeah, but you have done amazing things and right. uh, it's it's literally like a, that, that's why in stand up it's like a double or nothing you know if you really kill it you know it's like a, you you get it double but if you don't do well it takes a toll on you mm-hmm. uh, it, it goes hard on you so uh, yeah people who bomb on stage uh, multiple times uh, it could really take a toll that's why the success rate for stand up comedy is very very low right yeah yeah so at which point so now you're doing this uh, in your university you got second place yeah um, you're starting to, you know, develop this interest. Uh, you're probably realizing yeah. that, oh, okay, maybe I have a talent in this as well. Um, when yeah. did you realize, uh, you know, okay, I can start making money from this. This can be a job. Yeah. So, so maybe the during the university time, mm-hmm. it was just like a one-off kind of thing. Right. And then the February 2012, uh, that's why I also just wanted to try for the sake of trying. And then I wanted to just cut it off there. And then uh, Jason asked me to come back. Dr. Jason asked me to come back to do another open mic set. I did it there as well. And then my third invite wasn't really an open mic. It was a paid spot. Mm. So that's when I said, okay, you know, I, just, I can just keep doing this. And after all, I enjoy it. can get some pocket money. That's when I said, this is a hobby. And yeah, February 2012 onwards became like a hobby. Uh, in 2015, so that's three years of doing stand-up. Because I, I keep track of all my uh, expenses and also my comedy income. Right. So I extrapolated the graph of my comedy income. Uh, gradient was steep where it could actually uh, intersect my expenses at one point in time. That's a very engineering thing to right. do. <laughs> and also a very consulting <laughs> thing to do. No, but uh, also a key point, I know going off topic, but a lot of Malaysians financial literacy damn low. Right. So since uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, one of the reasons why people feel in entertainment is uh, even in corporate world, financial financial literacy is low. So let alone uh, entertainment line. So I actually did the intersection thing. And I said, that actually makes sense because this is all data, right? Uh, data doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so this this isn't just a hobby. It could become a full-time career in the, in, in, in the next, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years. So I actually wrote down a piece of paper. Was it 20 or 20, 2020 or 2021? I'll be a full-time stand-up comedian. And I made the jump in 2018, end of 2018. Yeah. So 2015 is I realized it could become a career. Then 2018, I made the jump. Right. Let's go back in time a little bit um, before we circle yeah. back to that. How were you during your schooling days? Did you get good grades? And, and what were your interests and ambitions back then? Okay. Uh, grades, yes. I wasn't really the first class. So my my school had about 200 and 20 people. Out of the 220 people, my position will be about like 30-something okay. to 50-something. Yeah. So it's either I'm last in the first class or I'm first in the last class. That kind of <laughs> segment, yeah. Uh, I'm more of an all-rounder. I wouldn't call me, I wouldn't call myself like a like smart flirt. I wasn't really a laugh out. I wasn't really a loud person. Hmm. I was actually an introvert back then. So you're then. not a class clown kind of person. No, no, no. Okay. I was an introvert back then. Right. Uh, now I'm not an extrovert. I would say I'm an ambivert. Uh, but the thing is, a lot of people have this misconception that stand-up comedians need to be loud and all that. It's actually, uh, no, stand-up comedians always observe. So when you observe, it's usually quiet. When we tell a joke, you can understand the joke. 
because we are talking about the same thing, but companies are looking at it from a different angle. Right. It's like re-evaluating the norms. So that, that's usually like a way of observation. So uh, yeah, back in uni, I was very quiet, but I did observe a lot. And also fun fact, uh, I was very active in scouts. And in scouts, we have got a campfire night. And in campfire night, it's supposed to do a dance and a sketch. Uh, and yeah, I was one of the very few uh, patrol leaders that won <laughs> three best campfire. And to win three best campfire, you need to have a good dance and your sketch need to be funny. <laughs> So I guess it sort of started, the jokes right. were really bad. La. I, I, now when I, I have a recording <laughs> on my cassette, when I listen back, uh, I feel like puking. But I, I mean, different time, different uh, crowd. So maybe, uh, uh, yeah. So I guess uh, there were hints from back then, from uh, from school time. But I was uh, very quiet and introvert. Yeah. What did you feel like doing at that time? I mean, when, when, when people ask you what you're going to do when you grow up um, at that time, maybe you're 15 years old. What right. do you what, oh, what, what uh, were you automotive engineer? Okay, so is that one yeah, of your the, passions as well? Uh yes, because I'm a car enthusiast, okay. and uh, since six years old, I've been a car enthusiast. Uh, I actually played the first Need for Speed on uh, was it Windows ninety five? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> until then, since that I became a car fan, and then uh, back then I also watched a lot of Discovery Channel. They had this uh, uh, documentary called Mega Factories, where they go where they go and film all the big factories and I, I used to look like a Porsche, Ferrari, oh, they're like so clean. Inside, there's a jungle inside the factory <laughs> to keep the humidity level low. I was like, wow, the factory is cleaner than some of our offices here in Malaysia. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm like stunned. And then I started engineering and then we have some local companies do some presentation and all that. I was like, oh my God, the factory is atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> While you were building your, your sort of portfolio, your name for yourself um, to reach this point where you know that you look at that intersection where you're like, okay, now I'm making 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 money. You know, you brought up that whole financial yeah. literacy thing. Now I can start transitioning there. What were you doing until that point? Uh, okay, so so when I first started, so February 2012, right? Just mm-hmm. I mentioned, first official stand-up comedy show at mm-hmm. Publica. Uh, that time was a final year mechanical engineering student. Right. So yeah, that was a final year. Then after one year, I graduated. I worked as an IT consultant in okay. Accenture. So I actually never worked as an engineer. So when people say, oh, Gajan, you're an engineer, I say, uh, no. Because usually I, I I value work more than the degree, right? Because you put me in a factory, I don't know what to do, honestly. Uh, I mean, you can't stay in a lecture theater <laughs> learning slides and then, all right, I know what to do in a factory, no. Uh, so I've only worked as an IT consultant my whole life. Right. Uh, yeah, I've never worked. And I worked in Accenture for five and a half years. Uh, and that's what I was doing uh, uh, basically, uh, did this this uh, IT programs called uh, SAP uh, Oracle, but mainly SAP, uh, more towards the uh, management side, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. program uh, project management side. So that that was that was my nine to five job uh, for five and a half years, and then end of twenty eighteen, I left my job. Right. So for that five and a half years, right? When I earlier when I asked you about your definition of success for you, you said it's important that your you know your work is enjoyable, um, you have yeah. fun doing it, and you're adding value to society. Did you feel yeah. that you were doing that at that point? Okay, if I were to look at my entire work experience, five and a half years, yes. Uh, I know it's very rare for someone to say that they like their work. Uh, but my first one year, I really struggled. I, in fact, nearly left the company. I even went for other interviews during uh, during working hours. Right. <laughs> That's how bad it was, yeah. Uh, I was in a very tough project where the hours were so bad, but o- over the years, I think uh, the, the company, Accenture, they they improved their their way of working and all that. HR came into place, started to become better. And uh, the, the, the main reason 
why I kind of liked it was because of people. So I always advise that fresh graduates, right? They they always look for a job role and all that. I said, I, I used to think the same as you, but I would like to feel, I would like to advise you that pick a good environment. And then second comes job role. Because when your environment is so good, you will eventually like the job. Mm. That's how good it is. You, If you pick a job role with a very toxic environment, you will you will rather do other things. So I'll give an example like, like cleaning the drain. Right. Yeah, if you were to clean the drain with your best friends, it's going to be a fun activity, Absolutely. even though it's drain, you know, right. because it's the, it's the environment. So uh, overall, I would say I enjoyed my work. Uh, yes, it was very hectic. The expectations are very high, uh, especially in the consulting industry. Uh, they, they used to have a term, you know, you either go up or out. <laughs> So wow. it's a very harsh thing to say. Yeah, yeah. They, they used to say that. Uh, but I did enjoy it. Uh, you know, I also like intellectuals. So a lot of them are very smart thinkers. I saw myself growing uh, mentally and all that. So overall, I liked it. Yeah, But yeah, my first one year had struggles. Uh, after that, yeah, I did have ups and downs. But overall, I kind of enjoyed it. So I always tell people that consulting is actually my passion. Uh, it's just that it's not as big. Is nowhere as big as uh, my stand-up passion. So, because right. a lot of the stories that you always hear, they, they leave a job that they hated. Yes. I never I never really hated my job holistically. Of course, if you if you take at certain instantaneous moments, mm. of course, everyone will hate certain things, right? But Absolutely. holistically, I would say no. I think I was, I was uh, you know, I'm quite happy in my company. Uh, but I left it because of like a mental threshold and also time. Uh, where I just needed more time to work things out, yeah. So you've been doing this um, full-time, now stand-up comedy or, you know, and emceeing and all of that um, full-time. Yeah. That has been your bread and butter for the past uh, two years, right? Since uh, Four years, since 2018. What yeah. Were there points in the past four years where you felt that, you know, this part isn't going to work out and that you might need to switch um, to a corporate job again or a nine-to-five again? Um, for one reason or another, have did did that thought ever cross your mind in the past four years? Not really, uh, because mm-hmm. uh, because I did the risk management when I made the jump, and the probability of me switching back to a nine to five is just uh, very low. And there are many reasons for that. Uh, number one is when I left my job, I already had six and a half years of stand up com- comedy experience. Some of the some of the stories that we hear. You know, they leave a job, they start from ground zero, then become successful. And then people use that, that as a blueprint. I say that's very dangerous because then when you make the jump, you start from ground zero, your probability, you know, it's all about stats. Huh? So when I left my job, I'm starting from quite a high level, six and a half years of experience. That's one. Uh, number two is also, um, I'm not a financial expert, all right? But my financial literacy, I think is way above average. A lot of people don't track their expenses. Right. Uh, a lot of people don't have a diversified investment portfolio. A lot of people, they just rely on EPF uh, for retirement, which is not enough. And then people are taking out. So it's double blow there. So I think my financial literacy is way better than the rest. And this helps a lot uh, because when, uh, when you're not working uh, in nine to five, uh, things are going to be more volatile. You know, you'll fluctuate more. So you, your financial model needs to be stronger to to withstand this uh, this fluctuation. So, to be honest, there was never a point where I would say I'll go back to 9 to 5. But there were downtimes. But there was never once I said, I'll go back to 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. It will also show, I would rather just power through. Because I, like I said, the probability is very low for me yeah. to go back to 9 to 5 to, to survive financially. Right. Yeah. You talk about powering through. What drives you to keep doing what you're doing? 
I enjoy making people laugh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's fine, right? Some people, they, they do it for money. But I feel that if you take money out of the equation and if you still do what you do, I think that's like the dream. You know, I feel to me, right? To me, I always put value first. Mm-hmm. One thing I realized when you put value first, right? Money will chase you. Right. And usually when, when I say this, people will say, but, uh, Gajan, are you saying that we can't have financial goals? And I say, no, it's two different things. I'm talking about the why here. I also have financial goals, but I'm not chasing uh, money. I'm chasing value. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's interrelated, but I guess the, how the do priority you, is different. How do you differentiate? How do you compartmentalize that value and money? And how do you try to pursue both at the same time? Like a few weeks ago, I just did a corporate gig. Mm. Uh, okay, money was good. But I can tell you, the gig didn't go well. So was I happy even though I got paid? No. Right. So th- then I know that I'm true to... That That means I know that my, my core business is is pure passion. And you can see this pattern everywhere. Uh, like I'm a car enthusiast as well. You look at car companies, sometimes they, they, they build it just out of marketing, right? Sometimes they build it out of engineering and passion. Sometimes they they, they kind of balance both. And you see this pattern every industry. Uh, it's the same, like, you know, some some DJ, last time they used to be like real DJ, then they go mainstream, then they lose that thing. It's everywhere. Even though a lot of us don't have certificates in NLP, but we we, we feel when someone is doing it out of uh, real intention, of course, some people can fake it, right? Until mm-hmm. you think it's real. But I'm telling, at the end of the day, people will find out whether are you real or not, right. or are you just doing it for the sake of doing. If let's say you're a financial planner, your value shouldn't be, you know, you taking money from people. Your value should be, hey, I want people to be financially stable. Uh, and not only that, when they're financially stable, things are much better, you know. Uh, uh, they're also mentally healthier. They don't have to be so stressed out and all that. So when you when you put value first, I feel that you, you, you eventually hit your financial goals. Yeah. On the show with me today is stand-up comedian Gajen Nat. After the break, I ask him what it takes to be a successful stand-up comedian in Malaysia. We'll be back with more on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Gajen Nat. He's a stand-up comedian. So I'm wondering, Gajen... Um, whether the corporate gig side of you is how you find that balance and and let me explain that a little bit because I was talking to a yeah. filmmaker uh, a few weeks ago on the same show and it, he's a commercial um, sort of co- commercial corporate filmmaker he makes ads for all these yeah. big uh, companies and whatnot. but his purest passion is to make a narrative based feature film to be released in cinema and whatnot. and right. what he's saying is um, how he sort of compartmentalizes it is he knows that that market isn't huge in Malaysia um, in terms right. of, you know, making enough money to really survive on a consistent basis or, or making enough to, you know, sustain one, himself and his family and, and so on and so forth. So right. he goes into commercial filmmaking because it's still something he, filmmaking itself is something he enjoys. And while making yeah. advertisements isn't the big dream or whatever, it's still something he enjoys he can make the money and then perhaps one day save enough to make, you know, his feature film for, you know, a narrative-based story for cinemas and whatnot. Do you yeah. view your corporate gigs that same lens where perhaps performing in, let's say, a comedy club may be the passion and yeah. performing corporate gigs the compromise? Is, is that how you view it as well? I would say yes. Uh, that I would say sort of yes. But the thing is, they are corporate. Ever since I went full time, the percentage of my corporate gigs that went well, 
were much higher. I guess because I invested a bit more time mm. and all that. But it, I understand whatever the example they gave, it's very similar. Mm. All right. I don't think like for example, like for himself, I don't think that he. I think he still likes the the commercial yes, side. It's just that it's not giving him the the as much fulfillment. Yes. As compared to the pure passion right. one, because. Uh, because I've got friends who who are directors and all that, you know. Sometimes clients say, "Oh, I want the, I want the uh, what do you call it? The actor to be a bit more uh, stereotypical, uh, You know, mm-hmm. his ethnicity not not loud enough. Because <laughs> I've auditioned before, and it's stupid, uh, bro. <laughs> they, right. they say, "Oh, Gajan, you're here for the Indian role. Uh, you hold a vacuum cleaner." And and I, I don't blame the director because sometimes the client wants it, so the director got to bow down. Uh, right. It becomes a messenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, the good thing about stand up is we have control of our material. Uh, of course, the client will say we can follow the team and all that. Uh, regarding fulfillment, the thing about corporate gigs is whenever you perform, let's say for an annual dinner, product launch, or whatsoever, the the audience are not there for the entertainment. The audience are there for the main agenda and food. So the main agenda will be like the product launch, or the main right. agenda could be annual dinner, right. whatever it is, right, or whatever. And then second is always food. <laughs> then only third comes in the entertainment. So you're yes. quite down the list. Yeah. Uh, but again, I still don't want to wire my brain to me saying I hate uh, corporate gigs. I want to challenge myself mm-hmm. uh, to, for example, like wedding gigs are the same. So sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, like few weeks ago, I mean, sorry, a few months ago, I did a wedding gig. It was, uh, I would even say, even when even way better than some uh, comedy club gig. Right. So sometimes it can turn out the other way around. Yeah. I did one for for Intel just a few weeks ago, virtual, uh, I saw one guy nearly like fell off his chair, like literally went off and then the, <laughs> the virtual background just took over. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I've never done this virtually before. Like, this is insane. So I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the, the the comedy club gigs will always be the, the passion because of, uh, you know, it doesn't look as formal. You know, it's just pure, you know, you can be yourself, be real. But uh, yeah, to to long story short, I would say similar lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think right. we at the end of the day, we all still like all kinds of gigs. It's just that you know, fulfillment wise, they they vary uh, slightly. Right. Yeah. What does it really take um to make stand up comedy a career in Malaysia? I think first things first, I would say is uh, you got to be an all rounder. Mm. So uh, the reason why I say this is I I know it may sound cliche, but uh, going back to the fundamentals, right? Regardless of whatever career that you do, especially uh, non nine to five, at the end of the day, every day you're you're engaging with people, time, money, and of course health. Uh. Right. So management of like this four is like super important. So like just now I mentioned financial literacy. The reason why the failure rate is high is because a lot of people think ah I I if I want to be good in uh, if I want to be a successful stand up comedian, I got to go up there and just write good jokes. And uh, well, sad to say, that's not it. That's just only one piece of the entire jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. You you got to deliver well. You got to know branding. Uh, you got to have a clean material for your corporate gigs. Uh, you got to learn how to uh, to to do social media marketing. You're going to do how to create content. Uh, you also need to have a certain amount of financial literacy. Uh, for example, like when I made the jump, uh, one of the check boxes that I made the jump is I already had credit cards and loans. Mm. because I know when I make the job, I won't be able to apply to any of this. Right. Yeah. So right. they, they won't like, I remember like, uh, I think two, uh, one year after I made the jump, I, I made, I called up a credit, uh, a bank and asked for a credit card 
just for fun because they were giving something free or what. The moment I say freelancer, <laughs> I say, oh, sorry, you cannot <laughs> put down. Right. So I see a lot of people, they don't do this and then they fail. Mm. So you got to be an all-rounder. Uh, you know, you want to be a musician. If you think playing the guitar is going to make you successful, unfortunately, no. You got to be an all-rounder. You got to know other stuff as well. Uh, that's one. And you, you got to uh, enjoy what you do. Mm-hmm. Most people who most people who do that, they enjoy what they do. But they are very skewed. Uh, very imbalanced to just, you know, uh, I want to, I'll make my big break soon by just, you know, doing what I do. No, you, I, I feel you got to be a specialist and also a generalist at the same time. Right. You know, so if let's say you're a, like for me, uh, yeah, my special, my special, uh, my specialty will be like stand up comedy, but I'm also a generalist. Like I can speak to corporate folks. Uh, I also do motivational talks. Uh, I know how to do stakeholder management. I, I know how to do a branding, you know, so uh, content creation. You know, you talk a, about, you know, having six years of experience in stand-up comedy before, you know, finally coming to the point where you say, okay, now I can make the jump properly. Talk to me yeah. about that six years. How much of effort um, did you have to put in on top of already um, doing your consulting um, day job and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so one key thing is, especially to the listeners, uh, during the six years, I wasn't doing stand-up to make the jump. I was right. doing it purely because I liked it. I, I only made the jump a uh, few months. I only decided, I only thought about the checklist like just a few months before I made the jump. Mm. So before that, I was just kept doing it. So I want to say this is because you don't want to... Because when you do that, there's a very high chance that person hates the 9 to 5 job, which right. is 90% of the scenario. For me, no. Because it's going to affect me. Because you have to understand that you're investing a lot of hours there. In your day job, if you hate it, then you're mentally just going to be not not the best of yourself. So uh, you got to enjoy what you do. Doesn't matter if it's nine to five or not nine to five. And if you talk about sacrifice, I wouldn't really call it sacrifice, uh, because if you enjoy what you do, right, you will just do it. For example, like, I like futsal, right? So sometimes, like, even I'm a bit tired, I'll still go for it because I enjoy playing it. Yeah. So when you enjoy it, right, you'll be surprised. It doesn't seem like uh, a sacrifice. It seems like uh, a hobby, uh, you know, yeah. So, so that's one thing in terms mm-hmm. of sacrifice. Yeah, so that's one thing. If people they feel that they need to sacrifice to do something. There's a very high chance they don't like it, and they're doing it just purely for the money. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of cases there because a lot of this common question is: hey, if you do this, can make money? Uh, I'm like in every industry, there are, there are people who are making money and people who are losing. The the only thing that uh, varies is the percentages. So you should be doing something that you enjoy. Uh, because if you fail, you will never give up because you enjoy doing what you do. So, I, yeah. Sacrifice, uh, mm-hmm. I would say sacrifice would be, it also depends on your, the, the way how you view uh, life. I know a lot of people, they, they are very particular about how people judge them. Right. I know a lot of people like, oh, I got engineering degree. Now I work as an IT consultant. If I leave this too, society won't view me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as value relatives will think, wow, you leave such a big MNC, uh, top American consulting firm, do that. I'm like, uh, okay, but uh, I mean, this is another challenge. Uh. Yeah. I mean, like, this is also a nicer story to tell. Uh. So, <laughs> yeah. some people they will feel depressed because of how people think of them. So, mm-hmm. I guess people got to also understand their, their self. Uh. You got to understand the wiring of your own brains. Uh, you know, does it affect or not? Uh, or, yeah. Yeah, because like when people make this jump, uh, some of them they, they it's a big obstacle. I, I've seen some stories uh, where people feel down after hearing certain things from relatives or friends. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What is 
the biggest challenge of being a stand-up comedian in Malaysia? Uh, I would... Uh, I, again, sounds cliche. It's literally uh, like uh, everything, uh, like whatever I've just said. The entire process. Uh, because you think about it, like stand-up is really like very difficult. And not to say that music is easy or what. It is also difficult. But at the end of the day, you are going into a room of strangers and making them laugh at the same time. Bro. You know, it's... Uh, see, like music, I can just, you know, eat and enjoy. You know, that there's no need to... Laughter is a very interesting emotion that, you know, you know, people can smile, you know, people can enjoy and all that. But to make people laugh is just uh, insane. Now. So that's the most difficult one. Uh, writing jokes because a lot of people mm-hmm. say, "Ah, oh, it's so funny, uh, Mama." You know, I make my friend laugh. Ah, you come now on stage <laughs> three minutes. Yeah, usually my uncles will say that. You know? I'll tell a joke and then they they will add on another line which will spoil the entire joke and then they'll just laugh on their own. <laughs> they'll say, "Uncle, you come and try lah." Open mic. Uh, so that's like the main obstacle, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that is growing your material. Uh, making people laugh is really difficult. But if you want to grow later on in stand-up, you've got to understand why people laugh. That's the most difficult. So always educate like the, the, the younger ones, like the open micers who, who just started off. Don't get too excited when you have done well in a few shows because making people laugh is just step one. You've got to understand why they're laughing, right? It, uh, the, your entire punchline, uh, uh, do, do you know which particular part are they laughing or particular punch word? Or maybe right. because you've got a vulgar word there, they're just laughing at the vulgar word. Or if you remove the vulgar word, are they still laughing? Things like that. So the why is always very difficult. Among all the questions, why is always the most important. Mm. So that's like the second uh, obstacle. And then the other obstacles would be whatever I've just mentioned, uh, being an all-rounder, you know, uh, your financial literacy, uh, knowing your marketing and branding, uh, content creation, uh, you know, being a more professional stand-up comedian, blink, uh, you know, knowing how to uh, have a clean set. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, All ju- of it, uh, yeah. you know, earlier you brought up something, just a throwaway line where you say like, uncle, you stand up on stage for three minutes. And that's interesting, right? Because, you know, now you're at a stage where you perform, you know, some you can even go up to an hour. Talk to me about that journey from going... To your, from your first um, stand-up, uh, you know, open mic where you're probably given three minutes, uh, go and try. Yeah. To, you know, graduating to five minutes, to 10 minutes, to 15 minutes, to that one yeah. hour of 45 minutes or whatever it may be. Like a completely full set. T- talk to me about that journey. So initially when I first started off, right, I remember I told myself that I'm not sure if this is sustainable because I'm not sure how if I can write any more jokes. Right. So that's the first obstacle because that time I didn't know writing. I was just like writing funny stories. I, to be honest, right, my first 10 months, I didn't even know what a punchline was mm. in stand-up. So I was just going up there telling funny stories you know, until my brother told me, uh, Gajan, I think before your punchline, you should pause a bit. Right. Then I went to Google punchline. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they set up a punchline. And interestingly, I was doing well, you know, in the open mic scene right. when I first started off. Uh, so yeah, I didn't even know. Uh, but the idea is to always build it. If I were to put it in a very uh, structural manner, basically we write a joke and then after we test it on stage and then we see what went wrong and then we rewrite the joke, we polish it or we change the delivery of the joke is really good. We do the exact same joke with a different audience to see if it's mm. the audience or the joke, you know. So we keep doing the cycle until it's fully polished in the joke. And then we keep repeating the cycle and then we just keep uh, growing this set. Uh, uh, 
the I did my first one hour show. It is not a special. It is a trial show. Right. So this term trial means work in progress jokes. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term special for the listeners, uh, special is whatever that you see on Netflix. Uh. Right. Or when you see a comedian goes up and say it's a one hour solo show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is usually the, the production jokes. Trial jokes are like the pre-production jokes. Right. Yeah. So I use this, I use this analogy to explain to clients. Uh, you know, uh, it, so the longest I've done is one hour, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that was very happy. And I'm planning to do my one hour show also this year. Like nice. uh, not trial show, but actual show in August. So I'm very excited for that. Supposed to do it in 2020. Uh, and then after that, uh, the pandemic came. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to uh, delay it. So now doing it here. How do you measure growth? Whether you're growing in your career, whether you're growing um, personally, however you want to look at it. How do you measure it? Okay, so I'll split this to uh, qualitative and quantitative. Again, okay. very consulting thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, tangible and intangible. The tangible one would be standard, lah. You know, number of shows, uh, number of corporate gigs, number of companies, MNCs you have worked with. Uh, another thing tangible could also be income, right? Right. So that's something tangible. Uh, what are the things that inten- uh, I think these are the key things. Are uh, number of shows, also the type of shows. You know, uh, maybe you value more overseas shows. So uh, if last year you have done one overseas show, this year you have done two. So that's also maybe a sign of growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you talk about intangibles, right, the qualitative part will be, I would say, your in stand up, I would say the, the way of writing. Like I was just explaining to an open micer. He, he didn't do well during one of the shows and he says that he was asking questions about persona, what kind of personality I should bring out. I said, forget the personality. Just write jokes first. Mm. So that's the priority. Just make right. people laugh first. Later on, you can build on your personality. Later on, you can build on your transitions. Later on, you can build on the why of your joke. Is there importance? How is it tied to yourself? Be more of yourself. So that is the growth of stand-up. Uh, yeah, eventually, for example, like some jokes you hear, it's funny, but you know it's not true. But then you just laugh at it. Some jokes is funny and it is true and then it stays in you longer. Mm. So, so that's also, I feel like a sign of, uh, growth in you know quality in stand up, where you don't just tell the joke for the sake of telling a joke, funny, but you tell because it's also true to yourself and you have a certain message you want to put it out there. Because in stand up, you have this term called finding your voice, right? And uh, they, they, I think I've I've entered the phase ever since I left my job when I became full time. I started to find my voice, but it's not a binary thing where you find your voice and then done deal. You know, mm-hmm. it's a phase. So I feel that. I've just started a brand new journey in like finding my voice. Because before this, I was just telling jokes. Right. Uh, yeah, it is related to me, but I want to go deeper to myself and put it out there. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that's the that's the intangible part of stand-up by the growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got a tangible part, which is all the number of shows, you know, uh, number of festivals, overseas shows, corporate gigs. And then the other one is the quality of writing and also performing. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap this conversation up, I just got a couple more questions for you. Now, the first one is, you know, at the start of the show, um, you defined your definition of success and what, what um, success means to you. Yeah. Where you are right now, do you think you have attained that already? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay. I'm very happy with where I am. Right, but of true. course, uh, there are upcoming goals as well, which I want to mm-hmm. achieve. But I, I guess the big milestone would be to go like the, the going full time. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and to still be able to uh and the best part is I was never surviving I was living a lot of people in the entertainment line are surviving like day to day you know mm-hmm. so for me no and another big thing is also like uh, me pivoting to virtual comedy since right. MCO 1.0 so for example like last year this also for the listeners i hope this is also a good uh inspirational uh, line for you all even though last year we had a long mco 3.0 financially i did better than any of the previous years why because mm-hmm. i found a long term solution to it so one key thing i want to give advice to the listeners is don't don't uh always cut dependency whatever you're doing cut dependency that means avoid on external forces so like mco and all that is going to happen pandemic is going to happen again we just don't know when this is not the first pandemic the world is having so you want to find a long term solution So yeah when I found when I did that in MCO Pompano no, I know it will pay back and true enough in 2021 you know it it all tied back to all my wise of uh pivoting to virtual uh comedy so right. yeah I would say I've really achieved a lot but there's still a lot more for me to go like the one hour special and then for me to put my one hour solo show in uh festivals like Melbourne hopefully one day Edinburgh also there's also another mm-hmm. uh festival there uh yeah and also to be on Netflix uh which uh I will be recording my one hour special and I'll be proposing to them <laughs> the office well, in Singapore yeah, hopefully yeah. all goes well yeah. yeah I hope so as well I watched you perform live uh, once and and it was really really fantastic now you know just before we wrap up uh you know this wrap this conversation up what does it feel like waking up every day and knowing that you know you're doing something that you love okay uh there are pros and cons sir. okay First time I felt that exactly what you said. I I looked at my window, like literally after I left my job, the first day where I was just like like free, right? And I looked at the jam, at the traffic, right? And I was like, "Have I made it?" And then that's the first thing, right? And then the second uh, eye opening experience is I walked to Mid Valley. Uh, uh, I was in Mid Valley, right? So because I live near Mid Valley, so I was there and I looked at everyone. Everyone's wearing corporate clothes, and I'm there wearing shorts, you know. Like during working hours, and I was like, "Have I made it?" Uh? That's right. <laughs> uh, that's one. But on another side, that sometimes you get too comfortable, and then your productivity goes down, mm. uh, which is something that I'm trying to improve. Uh, like my 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 wake up time, uh, trying to be consistent on my morning routines, and all that. So that's one thing I realized that previously I've been waking up because of work, right? Because there's no chance you're gonna end up. Not because I genuinely want to wake up. So that's something I'm trying to fix as well. So there are pros and cons, right? I'm I'm very happy, you know. I think I made it, but uh, productivity-wise, I need to up my game. Yeah. On that note, Gajen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Dashan. It was uh, really, uh, you know, interesting and also fun uh, talking to you. And it really felt like a like a legit podcast, <laughs> and not like one of those uh, scripted interviews, you know. Yeah. Uh, just reading. That was really fun indeed, and that was stand-up comedian Gajen Nat. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, BFM dot my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm. my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station.